Good evening. Amidst a pandemic, understanding the killer's profile and the pathogenesis is vital to be informed. I am Sagar Danukshan and I am your host for these lonely conversations. Hello everyone. Welcome to Lonely Conversations, a brand new podcast series. In this episode, our insightful conversations will be centered upon the global pandemic, COVID-19, coronavirus disease 2019. During this period, COVID-19 has become the mantra echoing in our heads. But how many of us absolutely know this killer's profile and the pathogenesis of this disease which is wreaking havoc? According to the economist More than 4000 research papers have been already published and scientists are piecing together to find where this virus came from, how it operates and what it might do next. Until this enigma is cracked, regardless of our professional disciplines, it is far beyond important for us to stay informed, to be cautious and to be responsible to protect ourselves and others in the future. Though I'm from an economics and development background, I've done an empirical evidence-based research for nearly 3 weeks referring to papers on PubMed, The Lancet, MedArchive, BioArchive, following university researchers, and of course, experts. And I believe this episode on the killer's profile will thrive at its level best to provide invaluable evidence-based facts which you may have not come across. One of the famous Belgian virologists, Dr. Peter Piot, who discovered Ebola virus in 1976 used to say that we live in a virus planet you know what happened to dr piot the sars cov2 just got him it was on headlines anyways now he is recovered and serving as an advisor to the european union to curb covid-19 good luck with that sir but my point is we have encountered a virulent pathogen known as sars cov2 that's severe acute respiratory syndrome coronavirus 2 causing covid-19 speaking of the coronavirus family it is said that the birth of the first coronavirus varied from 10000 years to 300 million years ago which is a long time and in 1960s scientific researches on coronaviruses started and we have identified seven strains which could possibly infect humans researchers believe that the virus spread through a zoonotic transmission originated from bats then possibly jumped to an intermediate host believed to be malign pangolins and passed on to the humans the bats are an interesting group of species there was an article on nature and it was quite astonishing to know that bats accommodate around 61 viruses in their cells and i think they have a mutual agreement between them because the virus doesn't kill the host and according to professor vincent vacinello viruses in general are neutralized when they're out there in the environment but active when inside a host cell having unanswered thorny questions regarding its own life this piece of code infected millions killed thousands froze supply chains and completely stumbled world economies thereby creating a dichotomy between public health and reopening of economies for many governments It's important to look at the virus's structure because it's highly sophisticated. The experts call it the single-stranded RNA virus, that's ribonucleic acid. That's a genetic code or you can call it the blueprint, similar to our DNA. This blueprint has an objective and that is to find a host cell, replicate within and to persist. If you have a closer look at the virion, just a virus in close up, I don't know it reminds me of Ferrero Rocher chocolate. There you have the hazelnut sprinkled on top of it and then you have the chocolate coating 
the wafer coating and right in the middle you have the roasted hazelnut. Similarly, SARS-CoV-2 in its outer membrane has spike protein which attaches to the host cell like a lock and key. Then you have proteins namely envelope protein and membrane protein work as central organizers in turning the host cell into the virus's workshop which is also laid in the outer membrane. And finally it has the nucleocapsid protein which is bound to the RNA, the blueprint, which inhibits the host cell's defenses and assists its blueprint to get into the host cell and to start replicating. But this 8-pax predator has a weak point. The virion's outer envelope is made out of fat, in other terms, lipid. And you already know that detergents such as soap and ethanol between 60 to 95% destroys the structure of the virus. But if the virus is covered with respiratory droplets or mucus, it is certainly protected. And a Chinese research suggests washing hands with soap is more effective than other detergents as it rips off the structure. Still, if you don't have soap, ethanol should be fine. Not to drink, <laughs> but to rub your hands. Most of the world countries have managed to contain the pandemic for a certain extent. In particular, Sri Lanka is on a path towards lifting the curfew measures in high-risk zones gradually. But say someone who's not wearing a face mask sheds virus on you. And that's why we need to wear them for protection. It can be a surgical mask which you would have stocked after panic shopping, or a mask made out of thick fabric. According to WHO, these masks can prevent droplets larger than 5 micrometers, which is promising. But the problem lies with aerosols containing the virus. Aerosols are like fine spray which can be produced even when you speak. Studies have shown that aerosols smaller than 5 micrometers could possibly linger in the air for 3 hours. But you can breathe. Because the infection heavily relies on the viral load. In other words, the amount of the virus in the droplets or aerosols determine the infection. So that's why it infects people in different ways. It's more or less like a numbers game. If we shift our focus towards the transmissibility, a mathematical model which was developed by Professor Christoph Fraser of Oxford revealed that approximately 10% of transmission was through contact. So the rest of the modes of transmission is either from respiratory droplets or aerosolization. And it's quite obvious that social distancing is by far one of the most effective preventive measures. Adding a bit to that, if you observe the degree of transmissibility of this disease, I must say that it's highly contagious because Professor Christian Drosten, one of the world's leading virologists who identified the original SARS virus in 2003 during that outbreak, said that the serial time or the generation time in which the virus takes to spread from one person to another is five to six days. I also recall during the outbreak in China, a so-called super spreader infected 15 individuals within just 15 seconds in an enclosed environment. So we are looking at a highly concentrated virus and unlike previous outbreaks namely SARS and MERS, this virus infects both the upper and the lower respiratory tracts. Therefore during this transition to normalcy, it is important that people should take into consideration the virus could infect you easily by various ways which you think you are protected. And now the infection. Unfortunately, we have few loopholes to get infected through spectrums of entry sites such as nasal or oral cavity and eyes because we have cells exposed in these areas. The SARS-CoV-2 in stage 1 finds its way to the upper throat area and studies have shown that this is where the primary infection occurs. 
puzzling cases of asymptomatic, those who never develop symptoms, pre-symptomatic people who are infected but not developing symptoms for 5 to 6 days, and mildly symptomatic who transmit the virus at this stage of the disease. I read a publication in New England Journal of Medicine regarding such cases and it was interesting to note that SARS-CoV-2 actively replicates in the upper throat and the upper respiratory tract among three mysterious cases which I mentioned above. Because we have epithelial cells throughout our respiratory tract which is a possible target for the pathogens to infect. In stage 2, the virus further goes down your trachea, which is the problem, then branches to the bronchus, then to the bronchioles, and works it all the way to the promised land called the alveoli. Wait, if you're confused, think of this, a plant absorbing water from the root, taking it all the way to its leaves. Alveoli are like tiny sacs, there are like 600 million of them in your lungs which performs one of our most life-sustaining gas exchanges by bringing in oxygen to the bloodstream and excreting carbon dioxide. Zoom in on one tiny sac, you find the alveolus, made out of alveolar epithelial cells. We already know the viruses hijacks the cells, right? In this case, the virus uses a mediator on our cell wall named ACE2 receptor to get into the cells. Receptors are found in cell walls and they generally do communications and receive signals. Think of this way, the virus acts like a key and the receptor acts like a keyhole and the lock and key analogy is performed. Simple. Once it's in, it releases the blueprint, the RNA, uses our cells as manufacturing plants and assembles many copies of the virus. This leads to cell injury or death and soon the immune system gets alerted. While the virus targets neighboring cells and grows exuberantly, our immune system calls for more support by releasing proteins called cytokines as communication tool. The newly recruited immune cells go haywire and end up destroying our own cells and cell walls, creating inflammation. The swelling leads to flooding of fluid called pulmonary edema in all those tiny sacs of alveoli, making difficulty in breathing due to reduced oxygen in the blood. This condition is called as hypoxemia. So in a snapshot, the injured lungs, flooding of liquid in the alveoli and the lack of oxygen in the bloodstream leads to acute respiratory distress syndrome, that's ARDS, the most common cause of death due to COVID-19. If you listened to what I said earlier very carefully, you would have noticed that in an attempt to fight the virus, our own immune system is what's killing us along with infections caused by the virus. In terms of the severe infection which occurs in the lower respiratory tract, researchers are trying to find the way in which the virus bypasses the cells in the upper respiratory tract and of course, the immune response. But that's not all. A lot of recent studies have found that SARS-CoV-2 is throwing a series of mysteries. Five months later, the disease threatens infected people from head to toe causing severe blood clots, stroke, gastrointestinal infections to mild leg sores. Sadly, these critical conditions are developed and become life-threatening for those who have underlying diseases such as cardiovascular disease, diabetes, hypertension, cancer, those who have weak immunity, especially the aging population, or immunocompromised and those who are obese. Research shows that an upsurge in blood clots leading to stroke is observed among relatively younger population. It is mainly because endothelial cells, which are also a possible target for the virus, can be found in blood vessels and arteries which could trigger infections and cause vascular damage, and thereby setting up for a possible heart attack or stroke. 
A paper published recently by the American Journal of Hypertension revealed the most frequent underlying disease in patients diagnosed with COVID-19 and developed ARDS was hypertension, accounted for 27%. Though there's a lot needs to be unraveled, experts stress that blood pressure levels must be controlled at all times. The other common risk is associated with diabetes. According to an article published in PubMed, type 1 and type 2 diabetes increases complications and makes ARDS more severe. That's due to uncontrolled blood sugar levels. We call it acute hyperglycemia. This upregulates ACE2 receptors, the keyhole in the previous example, which ultimately helps the virus to bind and cause infections. For cancer patients, on the other hand, Due to the intake of anti-tumor and anti-cancer drugs as a part of clinical management, paves way to immunosuppression. In other terms, it suppresses the immune system, which subdues the fight against the virus. Given the increase in obesity in this era, researchers claim it is dangerous to be obese with a BMI above 25 and contract COVID-19 because it disrupts the immune system in two ways. One, it decreases immune response. Two, it responds with a cytokine storm. Against this backdrop, I want you to keep the following statistics at the back of your mind. Sri Lanka's non-communicable diseases and mortality rates account for 9% for chronic respiratory disease, 44% for cardiovascular disease, 4% for diabetes, and 22% for cancer. Also note that 7.4% of the population is obese according to the latest datasets. If I may share another research finding of significance, that is intake of vitamin D. I believe that some of you are still telecommuting and wouldn't have been exposed to the sun throughout. According to information gathered from Public Health England and Johns Hopkins University, vitamin D is required for immune system, blood flow and for muscles and bones. Therefore, it is recommended to include 10 micrograms of vitamin D in daily food intake. It is found in oily fish, red meat and egg yolk. It's just a tip for y'all. After deeply delving to understand the development of the disease, you may ask what's the end game? Legitimate question. Starting from the methods of testing, testing has helped a lot in containing the pandemic. 1. RT-PCR. That's reverse transcriptase polymerase chain reaction. It's a bit like a tongue twister, but by far the most reliable testing method. Here, diagnostics are done to look for the RNA. A nasopharyngeal swab is taken from the back of your throat and will be tested in a lab by making multiple copies of the genome by following several careful steps. But the danger associated is if one step is flawed, you may get a false negative result even if you are infected. So that's the reason to do multiple tests. Secondly, the antibody test, which is a blood sample based test. The test looks for the antibodies produced by your immune system. And the third is the antigen test, which was approved on the 8th of this month by the FDA. Here, this test tries to find the fragment of the virus called antigen. But these tests will only tell you whether you are infected or have been infected in the past. Well, it helps, but not really the end game. The actual end game is the development of a vaccine. The last time I checked, approximately 90 vaccines were in the process of development. These vaccines fall under the following four categories. One, using the versions of weakened or inactivated viruses. Once injected, it is believed that your immune system will be stimulated. 
It's a conventional model which is used for polio and measles, for example. Secondly, the nucleic acid-based vaccines used by the genetic materials. Then we've got the protein-based vaccines. Here, the fragments of the virus proteins are used. Once injected, it will trigger the immune response. And finally, we have the viral vector. We have weakened versions of the viruses genetically engineered. According to experts, it is believed that the development of the vaccines will take 18 to 24 months. The goal of these vaccines is to boost immunity and to block the virus from entering the cells. Another interesting topic is herd immunity. According to Johns Hopkins University, to have herd immunity, 70 to 90% of the population should be immune for an infectious disease. So those who are not immune can be protected. But for COVID-19, it still remains as a question because we don't know when we will have immunity and for how long. In terms of therapeutic drugs, there were caseloads of discussions and arguments. But according to researchers, there are no specific antiviral drug for treatment or prevention. Even the remdesivir drug, which was predominantly used for the treatment of Ebola virus, has claimed some promising results in critically ill patients in the United States, yet clinical trials are still underway. So be smart, don't self-medicate yourself if you develop any symptoms. While believing in the process guided by the science and adhering to the efforts made by the state, it is yet our duty to understand the severity of this ever-growing, never-forgiving pandemic. The sole reason I made this timely intervention in the month of May is because many countries, including Sri Lanka, are gradually relaxing restrictions and the human tendency is to forget the basic prevention and protection measures as time swiftly passes by. So given the greater understanding of the killer's profile through this conversation, be conscious at all times and diligently practice the protective measures because the resurgence of this killer may be lurking around. Until we meet again in another informative episode of The Lonely Conversations, stay safe.